0: So Lisa, a couple of podcasts ago, we talked about the bad tea party and having to really manage everything that's coming up. And around the corner when it comes to DEI work, whether it's Jedi language or Mm -hmm. whether it's trans women or trans individuals, there's so much that we're on the cutting edge of and we're trying to be proactive and be visionary uh, Mm -hmm. so we don't get caught uh, unprepared for particular groups of folks. And so one of those topics that we brought up was specifically around multi-generational participation in endurance sport and how we can't just assume that a certain age, certain body type. Uh, a person at a certain point in their lives is participating in endurance sport. We have to think more broadly about that.
1: Yeah. And I I think if I do the math right, we're probably looking at at least five generations of folks who are competing in endurance sport and potentially a little bit of a sixth, um, some young people who are just coming of age where they might be participating in team sports or endurance sport So that's a lot of personality types and behaviors to consider when
0: we think about Mm. how are we being responsive? Absolutely. So let's dive into multi-generational sport. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingerfield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. So Lisa, we went back and did a little bit of homework and we're still trying to uh, (laughs) sort out Mm -hmm. who's saying what because frankly, when it comes to generations and the years of birth, Um, it gets really interesting, depending on what sociologist you talk to, what psychologist you talk to, uh, the years will land differently. So for example, I was born in 1978. So for some, I'm in the middle of the pack of Gen X, whereas for other sociologists, I'm kind of on the cusp and kind of flirting with Gen Y. And so given that it does depend on who you ask, but we've done a little bit of our research and it's very clear that we really need to talk about all the generations that are participating in endurance sport, because it's a lot of them.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting. I'm just looking at these charts that we will include in the show notes or at least links to them. And, um, I've never actually seen generation X end before 1982. And on one of these, it's showing 79 as the last year. So that would put you right there as a cusper. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I am 76. So I'm, I'm, I'm on the backside of Generation X, but I I always fall into it. And I think that um, you're right, that this is something I don't think we give a lot of consideration to in terms of how are we structuring endurance sports, marketing endurance sports, thinking about products that would be useful in endurance sports and how that might be affected by this massive generational distribution mm-hmm. that, um, we're seeing, you know, if we have people mm-hmm. in their late eighties and nineties competing, and then we also have people in their early teens,
0: like they are not the same person. Not at all. Not at all. Physically, psychologically, professionally, personally, they're just not the same person. And, you know, I I jokingly say all the time that, you know, maybe one day I'll get to go to Kona, but it'll probably be much later on when I'm in an older age group, I can (laughs) hopefully um, make the cutoff. But also by that point, I'll have hopefully more dollars in the bank where I can afford to go to Kona, or I can afford to do the training I want to do, or I can afford the $10,000 bike if that's just something I want to do as a feather in my cap. Um, But we all have these different, uh, both perspectives, but also where it our different places in our personal development that makes things a little bit different. And I think we make a really grave mistake as coaches, trainers, event planners, like you mentioned, that aren't considering these because, you know, when I Googled a little bit around and did a little bit of homework, you know, originally the world's oldest Ironman was a Japanese gentleman at the age of 85. And so, you know, what happens when you, for example, run out of age groups at your race because you didn't consider that someone would show up that would be outside of that age group? Um, I can understand the younger end of things because obviously there's some liability there uh, with children um, and minors. But when we're talking about on the older end of that spectrum, you know, I just started thinking about him and uh, Sister Madonna, who is now 91, born in 1930. So what would she be, Lisa? Would she be in the uh silent generation
1: generation yeah
0: she'd be in the silent generation um and is an Ironman finisher as well, oldest female to uh, finish at 79 years of age. Um, And the funny story about her is that they actually did have to add new age brackets uh, to accommodate her as she gets older. And I I pray that she stays strong and continues to compete. But as she continues, hopefully, they will be adding more age. groups. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So what does that mean overall for the sport and to already anticipate that rather than as usual, being reactionary and what right. we do when it comes to DEI work. So I think uh, Sister Madonna is bringing up a great point around this.
1: Mm, you know, it's interesting. You made me think when you're talking around, I wonder how this does break down by gender. Like, I wonder if races are making an assumption based on gender stereotypes around. Um, strength and speed that are associated with men and masculinity versus strength and speed that's associated with uh, women and femininity, and whether older age groups are considered or applied for men and um, Mm. for women, they're only added if a person registers in those older age groups. Like I don't Mm. know. I'm speculating here because I don't know enough about it to know whether that happens, but that wouldn't surprise me if that happened in terms of who Races or event managers are assuming will participate at
0: older age groups. Mm, absolutely. If, if someone knows how that works, or if you're an event manager or event planner that has done this, um, as far as setting the age groups and so forth, the, drop us an email <laughs> and just let us know. I would love to know. I'm now curious about it, Lisa, now that you've brought it up. Um, but it brings up a great point of, you know, are we proactive? Are we reactive based on gender, based on lots of different stereotypes mm-hmm. that you're, you're on it that would hold true, uh, possibly? even in sister Madonna's case too. Um, I wonder if we should kind of skim over the particular groups as well as some of the characteristics of those groups, because I'm, I'm learning as well. Um, obviously I knew about several different groups. At least I knew about my parents who fall very firmly in the baby boomer category. Mm -hmm. And I'm also, um, pretty familiar with generation Alpha or the I generation, because that's my oldest son, Trey, uh, who turned 10 this past year. And so I I think there's some specifics around this that we probably need to address. Um, The oldest generation, I think, that is now participating in endurance sport, if we go off of Sister Madonna's uh, perspective, would be the greatest generation. Um, And that's the generation that's born between 1910 and 1924. So they're on the younger end, about 96 years of age. Um, And so those folks, you know, I'm always wondering, you know, what brings them to the sport? Maybe they've been in the sport for years. Uh, Maybe it's something that they do um, in their retirement or in their free time. Maybe it's a way to travel even, but that particular group, obviously they're Uh, doing it for the love of it. It sounds Mm -hmm. like they're doing it because they love the sport and uh, they may not be uh, as competitive, uh, not in the stereotypical form, but as in competing with others, but more so competing with themselves and continuing Mm -hmm. to push the limits. But uh, that seems to be sister Madonna's uh, particular generation.
1: She would actually be a little younger than that. I think.
0: Um, Ooh, would she
1: be silent silent
0: generation. oh let's see so that's would she 1930 be on the right? cus- oh so silent would be 1925 to 1945 so she just turned what 91
1: yeah
0: okay yeah so she, you're right so she's at the uh, upper end of the silent generation and folks in the silent generation now this is really interesting because um they have been characterized characterized in two different ways um, they've been named the Silent Generation, but also named veterans. Veterans, uh, so they have respect for authority. They do conform, um, and their their core values center around discipline. Um, so I'm wondering if they brought up veterans as in age or veterans as in a, a sideswipe of military. Yeah, I don't know if they named it that way.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah. And so for them, um, you know, a lot of their communication style was even uh, originated with one-on-one communication. You write things down, you know, even back then kind of a rotary phone type perspective. Um, And so they have a particular unique perspective that's a tad older uh, than the boomer generation that I'm a little more familiar with due to my parents. Um, I'm wondering if we have folks in the silent generation, that sister Madonna generation, what would they be interested in or what could we do to make them feel more welcome in endurance sport? Um, Of course, definitely having their age group already available would be a starting point (laughs) for participation. Um, But I'm trying to think through any other things that they might want uh, when it comes to endurance sport.
1: Well, I wonder um, whether or not, you know, online registration systems make a lot of sense for folks uh, who don't have a lot of experience. I mean, I know that's come up with vaccinations of late mm-hmm. where all these systems to register have been online. And in so doing, you're kind of like excluding a good number um, of people who really need the vaccine, but aren't able to, don't have access to, aren't interested in engaging mm-hmm. in an online forum, right? They want to make a phone call or Mail something in, and I think a lot of uh-huh. races do allow still mail in um, registrations, but I'm I'm not sure how popular that is. And so, you know, checks, writing checks, and mailing uh-huh. mailing it in. I wonder right. if that's something that would make um, race entry more accessible to folks who are falling into that older generation, into that um, veterans uh-huh. or silent generation group. Again, yeah. you know, I don't know. My dad actually falls into um, mm-hmm the pr- no hang on my dad falls into the silent generation actually he's not a boomer he was born before that mm-hmm. so maybe I'll- not that he competes in endurance sport <laughs> he's a walker but I may ask him about that um because he yeah. does struggle with the internet so yeah mm-hmm. um, That's something to think about that I hadn't actually considered until looking at this information here and us having that
0: conversation. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I'm wondering, too, I know we're kind of sliding from the silent generation into the baby boomer generation. I would love to see some deep dive demographics on how many of them uh, compete with their adult children or adult grandchildren, or just adult family members. Um, I'm thinking about one of my uh, fast chicks teammates um, who she competed with, with me at uh, Atlantic city a couple years ago. And her uncle um, who would definitely fall in the boomer generation. uh, He actually participated in a relay and did it for the very first time and loved it. He loves riding bikes, but he had never done it in a event setting and that was his first time, and so I'm just thinking about that relationship of, you know, oh well, yeah, I'll go do a sprint with my daughter, or I'll go do, you know, an Olympic with my son, or um, I've seen those really great stories that that might be a little bit of inspiration porn too, though, Lisa, about um, mm-hmm. uh, older folks that uh, have they've competed alongside a child, an adult child, or a grandchild, what have you, and they're the ones doing the registration, and they're the ones getting them prepared, and, you know, so I, I wonder how much of that family piece of things come in, because it is fantastic, I mean, I cannot wait to be, you know, <laughs> in one of those older generations, mm-hmm. older age groups, and and Trey and Kendrick are registering all three of us to do something, that would be fantastic, um, but I'm just wondering how much of that already happens to kind of help with some of the logistical pieces, Um and in that way, then you have a family tradition going too. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I wonder what the family discounts might be something that would encourage older generations <laughs> just to just uh, pay, you know, like if yeah. you, and yeah. uh, not necessarily a child, cause not everyone has children, but like, mm-hmm. um, you know, three of you that are related in some way, right. And you get a 10 or 15% discount on the registration and you yeah. compete in the relay together or you compete, you know, right on the course together, you know, but separately, I think that might be an interesting Mm -hmm. way to um, increase participation from older generations. And you mentioned inspiration porn. And I think that's an important thing to kind of caveat here is that Mm -hmm. in the same way that we see um, athletes with disabilities elevated um, in Mm -hmm. a kind of like, isn't this amazing? Look at what they did. The subtext being, if they can do it, so can you, able-bodied person. I think Mm. that does exist for older adults, right? With Sister Madonna and other people Mm. in that age group. Well, if they can do it, then surely I can do it as a 40-something person. Right. Um, right. This implicit assumption that once you reach a certain age, particularly for women, um, you know, you're put on the shelf and you don't have anything to offer anymore. Mm. And certainly you're not going to be competitive in any kind of endurance sports. So when, Mm -hmm. you know, the unicorn, um, older person participates, which they're not actually unicorns, right? But I think that's how it's framed. That's right. It becomes this like, oh my gosh, how amazing. Let's take a photo and plaster that across social media. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I do think that that happens probably for folks who are 60 and older, maybe. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and then, you know, let's think about this because now we're kind of sliding into um, from baby boomers into Gen X and baby boomers are uh, somewhere in that 1940s, um, 1940s to 1960s category. So you'd have folks from 56 to 74 in that area. Boomers uh, are usually, um, they come from an idealistic perspective, even a collectivist perspective. And that, Lisa, really made me think hard about what are the approaches to training and to racing when it comes to individual perspectives versus collective Mm -hmm. perspectives. So the baby boomer, regardless of speed, for example, may not care (laughs) too much about Um, the time, they may care about the socialization and being around other people and being around uh, folks with a similar goal. And that might be the priority over time and speed and you know, in my first in my age group type of thing. Um, so, you know, they may race for completely different reasons than other, uh, other generations that we'll talk about later. You know, I, I just can't imagine that a baby boomer would necessarily race for the exact same reasons as a gen X or gen Y
1: Yeah, that's a really great point because gen X is, um, the forgotten generation also right the latchkey kids and um they're also um theorized as being both individualistic and pretty competitive so you know that's folks from like mid-60s to late 70s early 80s i think gen- gen- um, generally um it varies as shauna had said but so therefore right so then you have a family where you have perhaps you have gen x parents, baby boomer grandparents, and then Gen Y or Gen Z kids, and they're all motivated by different things. Mm-hmm. That's kind of an interesting dynamic in terms of as an event or as a product or, <laughs> you know, as a training group, like how do you market mm-hmm. and create um, enjoyment and opportunity for all those different levels of motivation?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That coming from all those different perspectives and, you know, as we slide into Gen X, now that's my generation, y'all. So I uh, turned 43 this year um, and the Gen Xer generation, the forgotten folks here, <laughs> um, we do things quite differently. Um, I think we should have prefaced our entire conversation, Lisa, by saying that each subsequent younger, newer generation is usually vilified as they formulate, but then as they age, (laughs) they are more and more accepted. So let me just point that out. I should have said that at the top of our time together, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, as a generation Xer, you know, in many ways, we were vilified in lots of ways around, you know, thinking very individualistically and competitively and even focusing on material things, for example, and, you know, I'm I'm gonna be a little bit hypocritical here that I hear a lot of people that say, you know, well, who we are is based on who raised us. Um, and I'm thinking, oh, that kind of feels like product of environment type language where uh there, there's lots of different products of the very same environments. And so, you know, are you choosing to be materialistic or not? Are you choosing to be competitive or not? Are you choosing to be individualistic or not? You know, I, I do think that's a choice. Um, but when it comes to my generation, I do think that, you know, of course, I'm always going to be a fan of my generation, but we are the ones that like the really nice tri bikes. Okay. I, I'm, I will be the first to admit it. Okay. If I had 10 grand just laying around collecting dust, I would have no problem dropping the 10 grand for a really sexy, fast bike. I would have no problem with that. Whereas other people might race for very different reasons. Like <laughs> I, I have remembered many times in races where I remembered the bike more than I remembered the human being riding the bike because the bike was just that smooth. Um, but now that doesn't mean that I don't care about triathlon foundations and youth in, in endurance sport or any of that. That just means that, oh, I kind of like that. That's mm-hmm. a shiny toy that I really mm-hmm. like. Um, and so I'm just wondering how many of my fellow Gen, Gen Xers still feel that way, but we're kind of perceived as materialistic, competitive, individualistic, all about us. I will mow you down for that extra second that I saved for the race type perspective.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and I think that that is a product in some part of growing up in the 1980s and early 90s, right? Particularly Mm -hmm. in a United States context and to some extent in the UK too because of the Thatcher-Reagan years. But, you Mm -hmm. know, that Mm -hmm. pendulum politically and culturally really swung um, to individualistic, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. If it's not working for you, then it's something that you are doing wrong. The government is not going to fund anything for you um, because you're just lazy, right? Mm. So um, certainly, you know, bell curve, right? Not everyone falls into this, but I can't believe that Generation X wasn't um, affected by that. And then kind of this latchkey kid, Piece, right? Where often for folks in um, dual parent families, often both parents were working outside of the home. And so the child had to fend for themselves in terms of coming and going to school and perhaps making themselves dinner. Um, And so that probably is where that individualistic, maybe competitive piece comes from. But the materialistic thing is interesting, right? Because I do think that that likely is fractured by class. So you're going to have some Gen Xs who don't really um, care much for materialistic items or Mm -hmm. status um, because it's just something they've never had. Or maybe they idolize that then because it's not something that's been attainable for them.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I I will put myself out there that, um, for example, both of my parents are boomers and they retired. um, And as soon as they retired, they didn't travel. They didn't do any of that stuff. They both went out and bought new cars outright and paid it without having a car note. And part of that was because they had never been at a place in their lives where they could buy something brand new or that they could pay for it cash. And so just the ability to do it was something important to them. And so for me, especially from, you know, being raised in a lower income area of the world uh, down in Southern Virginia, um, being raised in a family that, Kind of did idolize the ability to have material things. I've had to moderate some of that, even in endurance sports. So, you know, for me, (laughs) yeah, I I might be the person with the two hundred dollar kit on at the race, but I promise you, I was wearing like the cheapest crap ever to train in. Like, I really didn't care, you know. Or I'm going to Walmart to buy the, you know, twelve dollar sports bra because I just really don't care what I train in, Um, and so. You know, finding the balance between that, especially when it comes to endurance sport, you know, what's considered expensive or not, or what's considered status or not, um, you know, friends kind of in my category, you know, specifically look at, you know, the medals. <laughs> how big is that metal? So, for example, right. um, I've even done, I've looked at it on my wall, I might have to take a picture of it a comparison between two half iron distance races. And one of those medals was as small as an Olympic medal. And the other one looked like flavor flame that was like as big as my head. And so, you know, we do talk about this and we look at it and we're like, "Hmm, let's think about that. And what does that mean as far as, um, you know, who you are and perceptions of you in the world? I, I do think that's the case for Uh, some of us in in the Gen Xer category here. So now I don't know if that holds true for Gen Y. Now, Gen Y gets into millennials. And Lisa, I'm going to ask you a question and you just roll with it here. Have you heard the title or the label of millennial used in malicious ways with groups individuals, how do you take that in and the how the language is used? Because I know you're the you're the communication specialist on oh, this podcast. So I don't I'm know sure about you've that, heard but it.
1: I yeah. Definitely, definitely.
0: <laughs> Millennial was a dirty word.
1: Um, Oh my gosh. Did generation X not love the rise of the millennials?
0: Mm, mm -hmm. No
1: work ethic. They just want to float in and float out. They're always questioning, right? No respect for authority. Oh my goodness. Yes. It was not, wasn't, was not, I think it has changed since there have been, we now have Gen Z after millennials and then also now the alpha generation, but Yeah. Oh my goodness! I didn't hear much good about millennials when I was kind of in my um, early twenties, moving through into my Mm -hmm. thirties. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, and you know, I've (laughs) I pick and choose my Facebook battles very carefully. Okay, let me preface this comment by saying that. But you know, I've seen um, people outside of our industry, outside of education, outside of DEI, some of them even outside of endurance sport, um, that. commented on the quote-unquote millennial generation and this is actually pretty recently like in the last year and they were referring to high school students at the time and so part of that I had to start dispelling the myth just to remind them that you're not even really talking about the right group of people because who you thought was a quote-unquote kid is actually your kid's school teacher, your police officers. Um, For those of us who live here in the Baltimore area, our mayor is 37 years old. I mean, there's so, you know, given that we now have to rethink, you know, what does it mean to both label certain generations, but also how we use it? And, And I think part of it is just due to, you know, let's go to the core language of diversity. We don't like anything that's different from us until we just get used to it they're not going anywhere right, right. <laughs> we just yeah. don't like anything different from us yeah
1: and i would say just looking at this chart here you know this one is showing millennials is 26 years old to 40 years old and generation x 41 to 55 so i would wager then that the vast majority Of people, that middle of that bell curve for triathlon and other endurance sports are going to be millennials and Generation X right now, because I do. I mean, the thirty-five to thirty-nine year old category and the forty to forty-four category is pretty darn competitive. Like that, they did not shrink, right? Those categories—they're not not messing around.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. they're not messing around. That's for sure. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. And you know, and so given that, you know, we do have to think about. Um, I think millennials are a great example of not vilifying uh, generations and groups because you know there are some people that vilify you know, oh, they're they're a boomer or you know, they have a particular perspective that doesn't hold true anymore, or what have you. And so I do think we need to be careful that the generation isn't used as a slur, but it's more so a framework mm-hmm. through which we understand groups broadly. Yeah. Um, because I I don't want to vilify any of them, frankly, none of them. Um, but it's just a a descriptor to help us frame them. Um, and so moving on to, uh, the iGen or Gen Z folks. Now this is my baby Trey. He's uh, 10 years old. So he'd be in this particular category. And this seems to be the folks that are, um, born between 95 and 2012, um, and so the iGen, Gen Z, that's, um, that's my son, my oldest son's generation. And then my younger son uh, is in Gen Alpha. So if you haven't heard that language yet, it's already out there, Gen Alpha. So that's 2013 to 2025. Um, this really helps us to think through what will the next generation want as we in, introduce folks uh, to endurance sport earlier and earlier. You know, so what will my kid want when he participates in that youth race, for example? These are some things that I'm thinking about. Um, Any particulars that we think would hold true for Gen Z or possibly even for Alpha?
1: You know, what I'm thinking is as, um, you know, these newer generations emerge, there is less and less acceptance and tolerance of discriminatory practices, right? So younger generations are much more um, on the whole, um, much more um, understanding of and believing of the continuum of gender, right? Gender Mm. is not a binary. Mm -hmm. Um, Gender identity makes sense, right? A person Mm -hmm. knows who they are. And so let's be supportive and empathetic and compassionate. So when I think about endurance sport, and this kind of rabid attachment to the gender binary and all the bills that are going through the state legislators right now banning in particular trans girls and trans women from participating in um mm-hmm. cisgender girls and women's sport um, you know parentheses we don't see the same issue for uh, trans men so i think it's completely rooted in sexism um So I think that the sport is going to struggle. Like if these prohibitive Mm
0: -hmm. um,
1: gender policing laws as they interact with sport continue as uh, Generation Y, as Generation Z and Generation Alpha kind of take over all those leadership positions, I think there's going to be a shift there because I don't think sport's going to be able to sustain that because this complete lack of tolerance for you know, quote unquote, old people being discriminatory and lacking compassion, I think, will be a big challenge mm-hmm. um,
0: to the system yeah. um, of yeah. endurance sport. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, this gets back to the business case that we talked about before around what's going to sustain endurance sport and continuously and purposefully allowing the eligible or welcomed athletes numbers to drop and shrink we're not helping ourselves here at all if we don't give attention to this systemic stuff that we haven't really talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It's just, we keep shrinking and shrinking and then wonder why the sport is dying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think that we're going to come to a point here in the next 10 to 15 years, probably where the voices of equity are going to start to drown out the Mm. voices of the status quo and Mm -hmm categorization and discrimination.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I do think you're right. I mean, I've had conversations, quite candid conversations with, um, with my oldest son and, um, what was so curious. I remember, um, picking him up from his last month or so of daycare. And uh, he had in his classroom, he had a child that had two moms. And so I um, was just curious to see how he felt about that. And so I said, well, um, I said, Trey, how was your day today?" You know, our usual conversation. And he said, well, I played with my friend, such and such the one that had two moms. And I said, well, what do you think about that? Having two moms and just left it as an open-ended question. And he said, he he gave me this face like duh mom I mean wouldn't it be great to have two moms I mean one mom is fantastic why wouldn't two be fantastic right. like, It was like a no brainer to yeah. him yeah um that of course two moms would be fantastic and mommy no offense but two daddies would be great too like he just went on into this conversation of understanding that I wish I could you know kind of take those brain cells and clone them and put them in other people's brains to get how this, uh, linear thought pattern of who is important, uh, who, uh, constitutes a family, who constitutes, um, an athlete. (laughs) I wish all of that could come out of that one, one, uh, brain cell there, but it was almost, it literally was a no brainer to him that, oh, this completely makes sense. And I'm not Mm -hmm. quite sure why it wouldn't make sense to anybody else.
1: Yeah. Like there's not even, like, the question is, why would you even ask, right? Like, it's <laughs> so just that you can see the wrinkle in the brow, right? Like, that doesn't even make sense to me. Exactly. And I think, that, um, I think that's important for endurance sport to really consider both in terms of marketing, product development, um, race and event management, training, coaching, um, I mean, the coaching piece is really interesting and the training piece. Cause, um, I think about how, you know, all the research, you know, and Dr. Stacey Sims talks about this a lot, that all of the physiological and sports science research is largely based on white cisgender men, um, ages like I don't know, 20 to 35 or 26 to 40, something like that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, training and coaching certifications and skill has all been kind of predicated on this, um, documentation and research that is just not representative of the people who are participating in endurance sports, right? The younger, the older, the women, um, trans people, non-binary people, people with disabilities, like it just isn't representative. And so unless that literature also shifts, there is going to be this massive, massive disconnect um, between what it means to be a competitive athlete in endurance sport, because the training guides are
0: not going to work. I mean, they don't really work for everyone now.
1: Right. And it's going to just get worse.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, they, they don't work right now. I mean, yeah, they just don't work. And we didn't even get into some of the sociological issues around the human development process, you know, like, you know, for example, someone who was previously able-bodied and now isn't, or uh, someone who uh, had a particular disability, but now they've had LASIK or a prosthesis, or they're transitioning back into another space, or um, even life circumstances, you know, someone right. who um, used to have two incomes in the home and now they only have one, or um, we've talked a little bit about the COVID pandemic um, uh, Kind of uh, the back end of COVID of how that's going to affect people's income and how at one point, you know, yeah, they're looking at a $10,000 bike in their house that they could have afforded a year ago, but now they can't afford it. So, you know, we didn't even get into some of that sociological stuff around how context has now shifted and human development has now changed as a result. We didn't even dive into that stuff because I feel like that's the backdrop to the lived experience here. Um, Mm -hmm. But even all of that has to be considered now. You know, I'm, uh, you know, if you're, you were co parenting and now you're not, or for whatever reasons, it could possibly be linked to COVID in particular, or you might have some type of side effect from having COVID and you used to be a competitive athlete and now you have to reassess what your body can or cannot do. All of that, I think, is really part and parcel with this generational conversation.
1: Yeah and also the accrual of wealth, right? So, you know, COVID aside, part of white supremacy yes. is that, yes. you know, white people have had access to generational wealth and the accrual of wealth primarily through purchasing of real estate and access to loans and such. And so that creates this um disadvantage to communities of color right now because of that historical perspective. It is changing particularly um, for women, um, where gains are perhaps more noticeable, uh, for white women, I suppose I should say, but as time moves on, right. In terms of Kendrick and Trey's generation, like how is that wealth accrual and generational pass down of wealth going to shift in the next 100 years? And how will that affect participation Mm. in sport when people's Mm -hmm. financial capacity changes that's or right. Perhaps their priorities change, right? That's
0: right. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. That will shift. So, you know, we're looking at human beings who are who are created to develop, but we're also looking at context that's created to develop. Like, God forbid. But you know, what happens the next time a pandemic comes? You know, the COVID-19 is yeah. not our first pandemic. No. Nope. And it it's right. the first one we've we've personally lived through, but it's not the only one. So what does that mean as far as sport? if endurance sport lives that long. So, you know, I think that's something to really consider um, as we think about these generations and what they're experiencing internally, externally, contextually, all the big words there um, and how we want to respond appropriately as coaches and uh, (laughs) coaches and anyone that's in the field of endurance sport.
1: Yeah. I think there's a lot to think
0: about here. I'm really glad we had this conversation. Absolutely. See, building that plane as we fly
2: still works, right, Lisa? Yep. (laughs) Hey, feisty folks. Jamila here, the Feisty Team Community Innovator. In June of 2020, we launched the Feisty Team to help you all stay feisty no matter what the year threw your way. Over the last six months, we've come together as a team to try and make the world a feistier place and connect with other like-minded friends in triathlon and endurance sports. We meet every month and bring in experts that can help us on the path to building feistiness in ourselves and others and create meaningful change in our sport and community. The monthly subscription is only $22 and you'll get monthly feisty huddles and webinars with expert guests, big sponsor discounts, swag and monthly prizes, challenges to stay motivated, a community of feisty like-minded friends. Plus, we are adding new initiatives all the time, like our new book club and virtual workouts. Go to feistyteam.com to join us and become a part of the feistiest team in endurance sports so we can crush 2021 together. That is feistyteam.com.
1: Unphased, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit.
0: Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford.
1: Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at try to defy at Dr. Gold Speaks, or at Outspoken Women in Tri.
0: I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay Unfazed, folks. See you next time.